Well, if you don't know who I am, I am Brent, uh, so I'm glad to be here and be sharing the word with you this morning. And I'm going to be talking about something here this morning, and, and it's something that we simultaneously all need and something that we all desire, but it's something that at times we also resist as well. It's interesting how that happens. It's something that we enjoy. It can be exciting, but also it's something that can be a little bit fearful at times as well. There are pockets of society that are all for this particular thing. They're excited about it. They're demanding it. They're, they're loud about it as well. And so much so that there are other pockets of society and culture that are a little bit uh, on edge about that. And they, and they kind of feel that some things are being maybe rammed down their throats and they're a little bit uncomfortable about it. And there's an irony in this as well because the pocket of society that is very loud and vocal about it, there's an element at which they don't really believe it's possible either. Especially when it comes to having some things suggested or, or considered because they think to step into it would be a little bit untrue to who they are. There are other pockets of society that are guarding against it. They're, they're fearful about it, they're, they're resisting it, and they're doing so in such a way that some others think that they're being a little bit uh, unloving in the ways in which they're going about or the ways that they're resisting things. Yet, ironically, also, there is a reality that um, what they are guarding has had an awful lot of this particular thing happen. You may be wondering, well, what is it exactly? You see, this thing that I'm talking about is interesting because it can be seen all around us on a daily basis, day in and day out, sometimes very clear, but at other times, interestingly, it is subtle, and it seems to go undetected, and even to the point in, at which it goes to uh, maybe to an extent, and you think that there's nothing, uh, nothing going back to the way that it was, perhaps, or maybe things are too late. What is it? Well, it's why nations, all nations, will continue to rise and fall because they seek to impose it on others, even against their will. Ironically, it's why the kingdom of God will never fall nor never fail because it is woven into its very fabric. What is it? Well, We've been reading about it day in and day out as we've been going through the New Testament together as a church body. We've seen it time and time again, from the miracle of the incarnation, to Jesus taking on flesh, to Jesus calling his initial disciples, to when Jesus encounters someone and he brings healing into their lives, whether it's physically or whether he's delivering them from some sort of evil, oppressive spirit. We've seen it on the day of Pentecost when this Holy Spirit was poured out on the followers of Jesus. We've seen it when Peter is alone and he's praying and the Lord reveals to him and he starts to realize, that, oh my goodness, this, this good news of Jesus thing, this is not just for people who are ethnically Jewish, this is for everyone. We see it in someone like Paul who was the, the approving executioner becoming an evangelist extraordinaire. What is it you may be asking and the it is change. Change. Now I want to be clear. I'm not talking about you know the change that 
you know, we, we carry around sometimes for those of us who pay cash for things. And you don't want to carry too much of it because it's kind of bulky and cumbersome until you're like paying $20.07 for something and you're like, ah, man, I wish I had seven cents so I don't get a whole bunch of change rolling around in my pocket. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about change that is beautiful, change that is sacred, change that is holy when we boil it all down. I'm talking about change and how it is woven into the very fabric of creation itself. Now, I know that uh, we're going to be here uh, in the book of Acts, but I, I do want to um, hop back just a little bit into, into Genesis um, and just show how this is woven in the very fabric of creation. You don't necessarily have to hop there. I'm just going to summarize some things. But, but you see, the Lord said, let there be light, and, and there was light, and he called that light good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and then there was, there was evening and there was morning the first day. And that's an awful lot of change, right? And there's some things that happen on day two, but we go to day three, and out of the land, what he does is he has vegetation spring forth and trees and plants, and they produce after their own kind. And then there's evening and there is morning the third day, and, and what is all of that? That's a whole lot of what? That's a whole lot of change. We have change in the seasons, the cycle of seasons, we have change in the daylight hours. I mean, it's noticeable now, is it not, that the daylight hours are getting shorter and just a month removed from when they're at their longest to where it is now. And in a few short months, when some of us are used to, or at least our family is getting used to eating supper time, it's going to be dark when it's just blazing light out right now. Change is all around us. It is woven into the very fabric of creation. It's even in us. Because for those who are in Christ, we are destined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what we're destined for. Now, some here may be thinking, well, why is he rambling on about change when we're supposed to be in Acts chapter 23 through 28? And so there's just a little bit more here. We'll, we'll be there for the most part. There's just some other things to talk about as well. Because we see change in the book of Acts very clearly as well. But I want to continue to talk about this because it is, it is so important for us to understand this reality, that change is something for which we are made, and it is something for which we also yearn as well. And there's no sense and no use in denying it. And I say that because, ironically, we live in a culture that sometimes the dominant message we hear is that you can't change. This is simply the way that you were born. I was born this way. There, there's no sense, there's no hope, there's no use in any change. Just be who you are. And on one hand, that sounds kind of good in some ways, but, but in other ways, that's a little, bit, a little bit depressing. I mean, for those who are, are still children, and most of them are, are over with the children's programming now, but those who are, uh, you know, uh, high school teens, age, college age, and even those that are a little bit older like myself, well, I guess I'm not that old, but, but do you guys remember playing as kids? And I mean, there's a lot of things that we played as kids, but probably every single child who's ever played with anybody and with neighborhood friends or with friends on the playground is at some form and, and time, there was some sort of make-believe taking place, Right? And how many of you, during the make-believe time, just chose to be yourself? I mean, your friends wanting to be, you know, Spider-Man or, or some princess or whatever the case may be, and you're just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just, you know, for me, I'll just be Brent. 
I'm not going to pretend to be anybody else. I'm fine just the way I am. There's nothing wrong with me. Now, hear me clearly. On one hand, I want my children, for example, to be secure in who they are. I'm not saying that's inherently bad. But I'm also just tipping our head to the reality that all of us, when we played, desired to be something different, or at least a better version of ourselves. Can we at least be that honest? Because change is woven into the very fabric of our own beings. And another reality is, in talking about culture here, is that we also live in a culture where a dominant message is almost to resist change. Believing that the best days are in the past and somehow they need to be protected or guarded against all this change that's seeking to, to be encroaching on things. And on, on one hand, that sounds kind of good because there are some things that I don't necessarily want to change. But it's also a little bit defeatist sounding as well. And if we think about we just need to protect the things in the way that they were, let's just roll it in and make it personal, at least for me. Um, you know, Jordan asked what we were doing on our fourth wedding anniversary, and I might think of it later. I've still, <laughs> I think my subconscious mind's working on that. But we've been married for 17 years now, my wife and I have. And I guarantee you, if I was the same person today as I was 17 years ago, that would be miserable for everybody. Right? I mean, you guys might know, but I guarantee you it would be. Now, was I a horrible, awful person at that point in time in my life? Eh, no, no, I don't think so. But the reality is, in those 17 years, there has been an awful lot of change that has taken place in my life. And for that, I am grateful. So I'm thankful that while I am still Brent, I am drastically different than the person that she married 17 years ago. Because change is simply what happens. It's woven into our very DNA as well. And we're talking about defending things as well. I mean, I have to ask this question. I mentioned it sounds kind of defeatist. I mean, since when is circling the wagons and protecting things ever the way of Jesus? That's never his way. Never, ever his way. Change is woven into his messages when he spoke to people continuously. Whether it's a little bit of leaven that leavens the whole dough, or whether it's a seed that's planted and it grows into a tree in which the birds of the field can come and find their rest. Change is continuously woven throughout his messages. But you see, if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're not, if we're not careful, we can, we can run into some problems here. You see, as adults, and it can happen younger too as, as well, but you see, when it comes to this issue of change, we can become deceived into thinking that I don't need to change. We can run into that problem. We can be defeated in thinking that, well, I desire to change, but it's just not happening. Or we can become dismissive in our thoughts when it comes to change and thinking that other people simply cannot. Anybody ever found themselves in any of those three camps? I mean, none of those camps... And if you're there, that, that's okay because Jesus wants to continue to bring health and refining and healing to you. But none of those are the way of Jesus. You see, if we're deceived into thinking that we don't need the change anymore, as I mentioned earlier, we are destined to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And even in the best moments of my best days, there's still a sizable gap between me and him. Right? Now, that's something that I shouldn't be down about. If anything, it could be a little bit exciting and exhilarating that there can be continued change and growth. I mean, I don't always feel that in the time because the other end of the spectrum is where we're feeling a little bit defeated because we're desiring change and it just isn't happening. 
You know, a little while ago, Melissa was talking about those uh, loaves of bread that, that Garen had set out here. And I remember that morning, there was like lots of people who came forward and got bread when Garen was talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Lots of people came forward. I know I got one. I broke it up in four pieces because I need help in lots of areas. <laughs> I, I got them in different places at home and in my bag and stuff. Um, and, and it is wonderful when the change happens. And as she said, there's been change in an area and so much so than she was expecting in, in the amount of time that it's been. But a reality is also sometimes we have an area where we're, we're desiring the change to happen and we're, and we're just not seeing it. And that can be immensely discouraging and frustrating. It's like, is anything ever going to change? And the reality is, is even in those moments, as we press in and as we seek to be obedient to the Lord, there's a lot of change that has to sometimes happen internally within us before a circumstance changes. I mean, I remember telling our kids, I tell them, and I even have to tell myself, in life, basically about the only thing you can control is yourself and what you're going to do about what happens. If you go around trying to change or manipulate this or that or this person, it's going to be horrible for you and everybody else. You can always seek to work on things internally within you. And the aspect of whether we're dismissive or not when it comes to change uh, and thinking that there's no hope for an individual or something like that, um, you know, I don't think the Holy Spirit has the permission and the authority or the power to work in only a select few lives. Now, we do need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But I think we also need to realize that he is always continuously at work in people's lives, even when we may not be able to perceive anything. And, and hopefully in those moments where dots are connected are beautiful where there is the life change and the things that the Lord desires. And so what I want to do here this morning for, for just a moment here is I want to um, just tie a few things together that I've been hearing here at 12th Avenue over the last little bit of time, just to show how, how change is possible, how change is happening, and how it's uh, a thing of beauty that we're, we're really drawn towards as well. Uh, one of the things is the United in Christ uh, trip uh, that was shared about last week from the stage. We were gone, uh, but I remember watching it online in the replay. And uh, one of the things that was talked about is how on one of the, maybe the first night or one of the first nights, an individual shared some things about their past, was very vulnerable to do that. And what that did is that brought something uh, from, and there'd been healing in, in this person's life from that, but that brought something out of the dark and it brought it into the light. And that laid a safe foundation for other people. And there was more things that happened during the course of the week where an individual and there's something that's happened in their past or something with which they're struggling. And they then had the courage because they realized that this is a place where there's love and acceptance rather than condemnation. And they brought this difficult, painful thing and they brought it out of the dark and they brought it into the light. And that is an amazing thing that happens when things are brought out of the dark where the evil one has power and they're brought into the light where the Lord has more power and we are cooperating more with him because he continued to bring about change and growth in our lives. And there's something also that happens in that in which it's kind of like an equalizing thing as well. Because as one person has the courage to share about something that they're struggling with or, or they talk about how God has brought about change in their lives, what that can do for other people is they can see that, oh my goodness, I'm not the only person who's ever struggled with this. And it's this, it's this wonderful tension of, of, of how difficulty and suffering that we've all experienced, there is a uniqueness to it because we're individuals. But there's also a commonality to it because it's the shared plight and struggle of humanity this side of Eden and the new heavens and new earth. There's overlap of so many things that may impact us uniquely, 
But also when we see how others are struggling or have had some growth, it can be something that can be encouraging for us. Uh, this one is also from last week as well. Um, the, the individual who, who preached, uh, he talked about how uh, toward the end of his sermon, he said, uh, Jesus will change you and he'll set you back on your feet. He was talking about Paul's address to the elders there in Ephesus. And he talked about how Jesus will change you and he'll set you back on, on your feet and help you along on the journey. And I also remember him talking about how um, he came here to 12th, like, I don't know, 25-ish 20, years ago or something like that, and he was doing an interim ministry because 12th was between pastors. And the reason why he chose to be here, if you heard this last week, just by way of reminder, and if you weren't here, just to let you know, because he believed that 12th is a strategic church in Emporia to reach the city as well as the university. And so he wanted to invest time here. And here, whatever, 25, 26, 27 years later, whatever it is, he came here and he still very strongly believes that, which I think is a wonderful thing. But guess what? If that is to be true in increasing measure, that's going to require what from us? Change. Because the people that God wants to continue to reach need us to meet them where they're at. And for us to continue to be able to reach people where they're at, guess what that has to bring about in us? Some change. It's this beautiful thing that he invites us to that can sometimes be a little bit fearful, but it also is exhilarating. And when we look back on it, and as we see it happening, it's like there could not be much better than this, what he invites us into. You see, a reality is, um, well, we'll get there. In just, and also another thing, too, uh, just the emphasis on the Holy Spirit that there's been. Uh, I think Jordan had a... A sermon kind of stand, or I mean, following through the New Testament, but he was just seeing several things. And so he had this sermon on the Holy Spirit, and then Garen had a whole sermon on the Holy Spirit, and then Jason Hubner did an institute on the Holy Spirit. I mean, all these things were like independent of one another, but they're also happening. And guess what the Holy Spirit's job description is, if you could summarize it in one word? Change. <laughs> like taking dead things and making them alive again. Change. Like taking things that have been broken by this world and reforming them into something new kind of change. Like taking this creation that has suffered the weight of sin and rebellion against God and shaping and changing it into a new heavens and a new earth kind of change. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. You see, a reality is that if things don't change, they wind up dead. Right? If things don't change, they die. And, and here's, here's such a beautiful irony as well with this, is that, speaking of death, is that death itself has been changed, right? I mean, Jesus died, and he entered into death, and he forever changed death, because death is not something to be feared. Now, I understand that there is, you know, some fear, because if uh, we're thinking about something that we've never experienced uh, no matter what it is, there can be a little bit of fear about that. But it's not something to fear in a way of like dread or anything like that because death has been changed, changed and transformed into the final doorway to be fully in the presence of the divine. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. You see, Jesus entered into death and forever changed it. And this brings about a beautiful reality in that now the change that the Lord desires can happen under the shade of his presence of his love, of his care and compassion, rather than change happening in the sweltering and crippling heat demanded by every culture in the world. 
Because from this moment forward, as well as all the moments in the past leading up to now, you've been in a continual flux of change. And moving forward, you will continue to change to either be more and more like Jesus or more and more like the culture in which you live. This is just universally true. And, and let's be honest, it's not like we're only ever going this way. The path kind of goes a little bit like this because the pull of culture can be so hard. But yet the overall trajectory of our life, we want it just to continue to be bumping more and more toward Jesus. You know, I so appreciated the reality of how Garen had uh, a prayer for the persecuted church in, uh, on July 4th, actually, if, if you were here and you remember us having time to pray for that. And one of the things that we will see as we continue to read through the New Testament, and when we get to the book of Revelation in particular, um, is that persecution happens in different ways. We were praying for physically persecuted people that day, which is wonderful. But one of the things we'll see clearly in the book of Revelation is that the evil one has, uh, has a couple primary ways in which he persecutes people. One is physically, which that one's pretty easy to detect. It's like if someone's holding a knife or a sword to your throat, or a gun to your head, and they're like, do you believe in Jesus? It's kind of like, oh, this is clear, this might be costly. The other weapon that the evil one has at his disposal is called cultural seduction. Because if you look at the word persecution, and you look at it in the original language, the root of that word has like a pressing and a forming, and outside forces acting on something. That's the root of that word. And so that's why I say that cultural seduction is when you see it clearly in the book of Revelation. And every culture, it doesn't matter where you live, is going to seek to shape and to mold you into the form of that culture. Every single one. And so we face unique ones here living where we do in our culture. And so I'm not trying to give us a persecution complex by any means. I'm just saying there's different ways in which it happens. And the reality is that the church needs to wake up and not think that persecution is only something in the future for some of us, that it's happening right here and right now as well. Because we're being shaped more and more to look like Jesus, or we're being shaped to look more and more like the culture. There's a lot more that could be said about that, but I do want to get into the book of Acts here. And one of the ways that we see change woven throughout the book of Acts is with its focus on the kingdom of God. Um, and so in the book of Acts, I want to look at the bookends of it, meaning the, the beginning of Acts as well as the end of Acts. And the kingdom of God is very front and center there. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That was his primary focus with them after the resurrection, just like it was the primary focus that he had during his earthly ministry as well. Now, we fast forward to the end of the book of Acts, and I realize that wasn't in the reading this week. I guess neither was Acts chapter 1 for that matter. Uh, but, but in Acts chapter um, 28, which you all will read tomorrow, what we'll read tomorrow, it says in verse uh, 30, uh, in the he here is Paul. It says, he lived there in Rome for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. A focus on 
the kingdom of God. And, and I think Garen talked about this when he introduced the book of Acts, I believe. So I'm not going to spend much time on it. But just to remind ourselves, or if you weren't there, just to highlight something that the same guy who wrote Luke wrote the book of Acts. And it's fascinating to see how we see Jesus doing things in the gospel of Luke. And we see his followers doing those same type of things in the book of Acts. Even the ways that some healings and miracles are done and their similarities. It's pretty fascinating how he does that. But he does it not just with Peter, who was one of the initial 12, but he also did it with Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. The same type of things. They, they repeat themselves. And I think this is Luke's way of saying that, hey, this is just the way that things are. We want, this is the kingdom of God that is growing and expanding. And it's not just for these select few, but this other guy was brought into the fold and these things are happening because our God is a restorative God. But it's not just Paul who's included in that either. We could look at other people as Luke introduces them and take Stephen, for example, um, one of the guys who was selected to help with the distribution of the food back in chapter 6. And when he is uh, doing his teaching and as he's getting stoned because the religious leaders are not liking what he's saying, on his lips are the very Jesus-like words that Jesus prayed from the cross as he's praying. Because he was shaped and formed into the way of Jesus, and that's the way that the kingdom of God advances, is by Jesus' people doing Jesus-type things. Central to the kingdom of God is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this past week, five times, it was in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the resurrection was talked about in all, every single one of those days. Sometimes it was like the res, just the general resurrection of the, of the dead at the end of time, but that resurrection is happening because of which one? Because of Jesus' resurrection. And so every single day, or not, but, but for Monday through Thursday, that was a focus because Paul continuously talked about it. That is such a, a tremendously huge event within the history. And so as I was reading that, and that was standing out to me yet once again because I have that highlighted and read in my, in my Bible that I read from quite often, I'm like, how often do I mention that to people? How often is the resurrection just at, at the forefront of my mind? Um. Not often enough. That's just a change that needs to come about in me. Um, now, we are, uh, as I said, we're wrapping up the book of Acts tomorrow, and we're going to be transitioning into uh, the book of Romans, which um, just kind of public service announcement here. Uh, you can get a sheet like this. Uh, for only $19.99. It's a, actually, no, they're for free. Um, but the, the cost of this and the value of it is like far exceeding that. Garen puts these things together, um, does a great job with them. But back there, by one, where one of the giving places is, uh, there's this sheet on a breakdown of uh, the letter to the Romans. Uh, he's done these weekend, or not we, uh, with, with every book that we've been going through. If you get the emails from the church uh, office, you will have gotten that in a digital form, but you can get the the print copy, if you're here and you're like, I don't get those emails, then stop by the information center and, and sign up for them. They'll be glad to send those to you. But make use of those as a resource that they are. But I pause here for, for just a moment because just because we're going to be shifting from, you know, from the Gospels and the book of Acts into the letters of Paul, that does not mean that the kingdom of God is no longer a focus. It is still very front and center uh, although necessarily you won't see the words kingdom uh, as much as you saw it in the book of Acts and in the Gospels up to this point. But it is still very front and center. And this is important because if we're not careful, what we can do is we can read Paul 
uh, in a certain way and Jesus in a different way. And it's sometimes, if we're not careful, what we can do is we can read Jesus through the lens of Paul. And what we need to do is we need to read Paul through the lens of Jesus. And so if we're reading some things that Paul is saying and it doesn't match up with what Jesus is saying, we need to reevaluate some things. They're bringing the same message. Another way of putting that just a little bit differently is, uh, I think this can be a difficulty. I know that I've, I don't think I'm not fully worked through this in my life, but, but I can read through Paul and his letters, and I can look at culture around me, or I can look at individuals and what's happening, and I can start to become kind of frustrated because they're not matching up with things that Paul is saying are good or not good. Is anybody, I don't know if anybody else ever had that experience. And I can start to become a little bit frustrated with things. But the reality is, is we need to be careful with that. Not, not that we can't become agitated or frustrated with how we see things. I mean, Paul very clearly was. We even read that in the book of Acts. But if we're not careful, what we can do is we can take the beautiful words of Scripture, and when we get into Paul in particular, and how he's talking about certain things, and certain people will not inherit the kingdom of God, and with good intentions, we can come up to people that we may care about, or maybe just people that were angry because of what they're doing, and we can say, hey, let me tell you what the Bible Bible says about this. Do you understand really what, what the Lord's intention is with that? And, and we're, we're just ramming the Bible down their throats. And this is, this is significant because the reality is, if we want to do that with God's word, guess who the first primary target is when we read Paul? When I read Paul, these are the things that I see happening in scripture or those who won't inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Who is Paul's audience? Is Paul's audience the outside unbelieving world? Or is Paul's audience those that are like us, sitting here, seeking the Lord, trying to be obedient to him? It's us, right? I mean, it it was like the churches in Rome. It was a church in Philippi. It was a church of Thessalonica. But it is written to those who are already following Jesus. And so anything we see in Paul that may be challenging or we may be thinking, oh my goodness, somebody really needs to hear this or the culture needs to hear this. No, 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 no. It needs to shape us first because Paul's already been shaped and transformed by whom? Jesus. Please, do not weaponize Paul. Paul is truthful. Paul points to Jesus. Was Paul crucified for you, he asks? No. Sadly, sometimes I think the church as a whole gets that a little backwards. The kingdom of God will not fade away as we get into Paul. It'll still be very, very front and center. And I do want to say this too. Don't don't beat yourself over the head with Paul. Honestly, view it as an invitation for how life works best. Okay? When you're seeing a list of things to do or not do or to put on and to put off, view that as a father talking to his kids saying, you know what, this is honestly how life works best. And if you doubt that, just look at some of the lists of things or take the well-known fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 as well as the works of the flesh and just ask yourself, If these were manifested in my neighborhood very clearly, which would I rather have? And then ask yourself the question, would most people prefer one over the other? And then pray and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in how to help bring that about.
One thing you could look at as you read through uh, Paul's letters, just to help keep the kingdom of God front and center, is whenever you come across Jesus, um, pay attention to the titles attached to him. Okay, you could circle them, underline them, highlight them, something like that. Sometimes it's helpful for me to have something I'm actually looking for when I'm reading the Bible. I don't want to like pigeonhole things, but it can be helpful to do that. And I guarantee you, if you do that, you will be astounded by the number of times the name Jesus appears only by itself. Because Paul, not always, almost always attaches a title, either Christ or Lord or Master. And the reason he does that is because it's all about a king and his kingdom. It's not just some random Jesus, but it's our Messiah, it's our king, it's, he's our savior as well. That's Paul as well as the rest of the New Testament. Um, back a little bit more into the book of Acts here. Um, one of the things we saw woven into the book of Acts as far as change was the power and the primacy of the word of God as well. Um, just this past week was an example of this, although it was a very short, when Paul was talking to King Agrippa and giving his defense, he basically drops in this line, I, I know you believe the prophets, right? And see, what Paul is doing is he is using scripture, which for him would have been what we call the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written yet, it's a blessing that we have, and it's wonderful to be reading through it as a church family, but yet just the book of Acts itself points to the power of the entire word of God, because all that Paul had is what we call the Old Testament. And if we go back a little bit further, here is an example where he is reasoning with people and proving to them that the Christ must die and suffer and die and rise from the dead. And he's doing that all from what we call the Old Testament as well. That's the power, that's the beauty of the Word of God. It brings about change in us. Um, you know, I mentioned just a moment ago about how the... Uh, the resurrection was mentioned uh, Monday through Thursday this week, this past week in the readings, and then it like dropped off the map kind of. And if you remember, Thursday, or Friday and Saturday, you're reading about Paul in a boat, basically. And you go, well, why am I reading this? This is kind of interesting. It's, you know, a little bit off, it seems like, or not off, just different, I guess I should say. And it's just to, just to illustrate the power of the Word of God with this, <clears throat> there was an individual named Sir William Ramsey. Sir William Ramsey. Um, he lived at the... Uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe. And uh, he was a third, his family for three generations had been lawyers. And so he just kind of had that, um, you know, born into and had that, you know, attention to detail, critical thinking, all those types of things since he was very young. And, and he became a world-class historian. And so one of the things that he believed was that the, the book of Acts was a late, late fabrication that it wasn't written anywhere close to the time in which uh, we would believe it was written somewhere in the 60s. And so he, he set out to prove himself to be right, that it was written toward the end uh, in the late 200s. And as he investigated things as a world-class historian, seeking to disprove uh, the historicity of it, and therefore you know, even just some claims that it makes, what he found was that Luke was not only a great historian, but he was also among the historians of first rank for the ancient world. That's one of the things that he found. And he found that by even retracing some of the steps of what we read about this past week with Paul's ship uh, voyage journey. He went through and he retraced those things and the accuracy with which things were put in there. You see, God's word, while we need to work to understand it properly, it has never been disproven and it never will be because it's truth. It's from him. The book of Acts also has uh, some inscriptions of some... Um, uh, uh, 
provincial governor type people. I'm not, the name is escaping me, the title of them. But for a long time, that phrase, that word, specific word was never found in antiquity. And so that was one of the things that people would point to. You see, this is a late because Luke didn't know anything, and he's using this word that was only used further on into, the hist- into history, in the, like the two and three hundreds. Well, guess what? They just hadn't dug far enough down into it for enough. Eh, welcome to the South. Uh, they, hadn't, they had not dug far enough into the earth because with more archaeology, they found inscriptions from that same time frame that the book of Acts was written with that title. And there's, I don't know, there's like in the, in the 20s or 30s that they found of that now. It's just the power and the, the beauty and the trustworthiness of the word of God with work to seek to understand it uh, properly. Uh, I'm going to blow through this super fast, but this is cool. I don't know if Garen covered this a few weeks ago. Uh, but in Genesis 1, 28, this is what God calls humanity to do, to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the whole earth, which that requires what? Change, right? And this is these words, the fruitful and the multiply in italics and bold, they pop up in a variety of places in Scripture. Several places in the Old Testament, I'll summarize it with this one in the book of Acts. When Stephen is giving his speech, he's talking about how God's people had been fruitful and they had multiplied in the land of Egypt. Okay, There's several other places where it has happened. This is just one of them. What is really cool to see, and this is once again how Scripture is woven together, of how Luke regular, uh, frequently, uh, that's too much, these times that I'll have on the screen uh, here uses those same words. So in Acts chapter 6, the disciples were increasing in number. That's the same word for multiply. Uh, Acts chapter 9, when the, uh, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the, the believers, they were multiplying. Okay? A way that this happens is because in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. So I want to be very clear. I'm talking a lot about change and how it's woven into the fabric of creation. It's inherent within all of us. I'm not talking about just any sort of change. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the change that the master creator of all things desires. And the way that we make sure that we're on that path is we make sure we're also in the word. Right? And so the word of God continued to increase. We also have Acts chapter 19. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, and I like how Luke brings them both together, uh, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Because the Lord desires healing, growth, restoration, or a one-word summary, he desires change. Now, I do want to uh, wrap up here, hopefully not in a Pauline way, um, which is a Bible joke you may get later when you read some of Paul's letters. But just to highlight, I'm talking an awful lot about change, but I want to be very clear. I don't want to leave grace behind. I want to just point out that grace is involved in change. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to efforts. Okay? Ancient church fathers would talk about grace being like this this working agent and and force of God at work, kind of like the Holy Spirit in a way in in some of the things. But even just if that sounds kind of odd or off to you, I'll just point out that in a few weeks we'll read in, in Titus how Paul says that it's the grace of God that trains us to say no to certain things and yes to other things. So grace and change, they're not, they're not diametrically opposed. They go together. Um, I think it's fascinating to ponder. We'll just throw this up. Uh, not going to go there and read it. But if you read the end of Acts as well as the end of uh, Second Chronicles, there's just some interesting things. They're both open-ended. 
because I think Luke intends there to be more. Maybe he intended to write another volume. I don't know. Uh, but I think he's implying for the story not to end. And the reason I have Second Chronicles up there is because that is the last book of the way that the Hebrew people arranged the Old Testament. We've shifted it for good reason uh, because of how things flow into the New Testament. But if you would pick up uh, the scriptures that Jesus' people had in his day, their Bible, it would end in Second Chronicles, and it ends on a note of expectation. You can tell that the story is not finished. And I think we see this here in the book of Acts as well. Like the story is not finished. The very last word in the book of Acts in the text is the word, it's it's describing the action just unhindered. There's no hindrance to the kingdom of God moving forward. There is an expectancy. And so as I do wrap up here, the last thing, I've been talking about change an awful lot, and I want to just have a bit of a thought experiment here. Uh, just imagine with me, if you could, because, you know, the scriptures uh, talk about one of the ways it describes the Holy Spirit is even with uh, the concept of water. And Jesus says that those who believe in him, that, that streams of living water will flow forth from them. And I find even that imagery beautiful because he doesn't talk about a little trickle or a little drop every once in a while. <laughs> That's not the imagery that he gives. The, these streams of living water that flow forth. And so could we imagine like if up above us in this, there is a dome and in like five minutes the water is just going to dump down on us and it would be representative of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, what would happen is that we would all be dyed from the, Holy, from the water with a little bit different shade depending on something that's happening internally within us. Okay? And the reason why I'm doing this is because once again, The Lord desires change for us. He desires good things for us. And part of change is bringing about internal healing in us to change the way that we think and behave and the way that we do things in the world. And uh, there's a a book here that I'm drawing these six categories from. It's called Unhindered, Aligning the Story of Your Heart. Uh, And these are by some people. They're... um, their ministry focus is working with people in ministry, and they do counseling with them, intensive counseling, restorative type things, or helping them work past things. And what they've done is in working with people for uh, like 20-ish years, probably combined of them together, like the people years, probably in the 40s, is they have summarized what they call, um, uh, well, summarize, they call it, basically things happen in our lives and we have these wounds in our heart that become sore spots. And when our heart gets wounded, we start to act in ways and live and do things in ways that aren't God's best for us. And what if the Holy Spirit would just dump water on us and we had a shade that would match up with one of these six? Because I guarantee you, you have at least one of these six wounds in your heart. One is shame. Shame is the feelings of an overwhelming guilt or embarrassment or deserving that you believe uh, deserve blame. And so shame is going to cause you to see things as your fault, even when they may not be, and you're going to kind of just heap self-condemnation on yourself. What if the Holy Spirit just, as it doused us and it exposed some things, and there's an awful lot of shame in your life? I guarantee you, the Lord wants to bring healing to that. What if you were shaded this color of fear? Feeling out of control or unprotected, experiencing undue worry and passive anx- pervasive anxiety. This fear is going to lead you to consistently expect the worst and always seek to protect yourself. And if we're in continual protection mode, we're never really living life at its best and how the Lord desires it to be. What if the, what if the dye color brought up some inadequacy and insecurity? 
It's this feeling that you're not enough and that you don't measure up. These, these feelings are going to cause you to doubt your abilities and make you believe that others are either condemning you or continuously disappointed in you. I just want us to just be open to what, it, what is the Spirit surfacing. And see, here's the tricky thing. If these are a sore spot for you and I'm not through them all, one of a couple things may be happening. One, you're having some emotional things bubble up inside you and you're just thinking, oh my goodness, this is true. Another thing could be you're saying, no, that is not an issue at all. <laughs> Both of those are like warning lights saying, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And see, the beautiful thing is that it's not a shameful thing for these to be an issue. Because once again, this is like a universal humanity thing. Uniquely impacting you, yes. But yet, if that water dumped on us and we saw these different shades, and some of us, Raising my hand would probably be like a rainbow kaleidoscope, not just one. I'm like, does anybody seriously only have one of these they struggle with? But what that would do is that would like just kind of equalize and level the playing field. And when we would see the equality in that, that would like empower us, I think, to desire more change. Another one, a sense of rejection. Feeling like you don't belong and aren't wanted. You see yourself as expendable, cast aside, or dismissed. Uh, feeling unvalued. You're feeling unimportant, forgotten, and unworthy. This is going to cause you to feel minimized and overlooked and despised. It creates self-perceptions of inferiority and its significance. And lastly, pride. The feeling where you're superior to others or being overly self-focused. It makes you think, uh, only, only see yourself in your successes, and then it flakes and exaggerates them, and uh, you would see only people, other people in their failures. I guarantee you, we all have, like I said, at least one of those. This is a universal thing. The Lord's not down on you. He's not dismissive of you. If anything, he just wants an acknowledgement, and you can bring things out of the dark into the light, and you can step into more and more of what he has for you. It may be fearful, and I'm not saying, you know, like the water thing is going to happen. I'm just saying it would be amazing to see Again, equalize the playing field, but yet that doesn't have to be fearful. We can just trust the one who is the inventor of change anyway, the Lord, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that uh, change is something that you desire uh, because you know, you know, while you love us and you accept us the way that we are, you know that the world is off course from what your good intentions are. And so I pray uh, through this morning, as well as when we continue to read on in the New Testament, that we would continue to be sensitive to you and your spirit and what you raise up in us. And as we read things, if something stands out, that we would be curious as to why it is. And so we can cooperate with you more and more so you can bring about the change and growth and healing you desire. For our good, but also beautifully for your glory, and so that more and more people will see uh, what I think we're all yearning for, true, authentic, and real change. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And with that 12th, you are sent.